This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello. For many gardeners, a vegetable plot simply isn't complete without that ever-dependable staple, cabbage. Sliced into a slaw, stir-fried, steamed or baked, there isn't much you can't do with cabbage. Stephen, a lot of emotions in the stadium at the end. What are yours? Frustration. (laughs) And uh, upset. Mm. Of course. What's going to happen now, do you think? That's for others. Mm-hmm. That's for others to decide. There's nothing I can, <coughs> there's nothing I can um, do about that. Mm. Always in life, in football, I've always had the ability to roll up my sleeves and get stuck into it, which I'll do tomorrow morning, mm-hmm. unless I hear something different. When I go home late at night, this is a song that I really like to sing right now, so I'll play it for you. It's uh, called My Old Man. could have nicked it in the end but I still don't think it would have um, I would have it would have meant a huge difference to me personally after what I've witnessed in the stadium tonight Welcome to the My All Men Said podcast I'm David Michael the editor of MyAllMenSaid.com and this episode, unfortunately, we couldn't track down the mad few, but I've managed to get a couple of cabbages. Uh, Dan Rogers of the VillaUnderground.com and Chris Budd. Good. Announce Warnock. Announce Warnock. <laughs> so last time we spoke, 
We alluded to the fact that Steve Bruce had made a big, big mistake of uh, calling out the Mad Few in public. What Bruce doesn't realise is the Mad Few, uh, let's say they've got a few protection rackets around Birmingham, (laughs) one of them being the the Bullring Fruit and Veg uh, Market stores. So uh, getting ammunition for the uh, the game against Preston wasn't much of a problem. And obviously uh, to the Mad Few, cabbages are are free. But uh, I mean, I was in Aldi this evening evening and uh, one cabbage is 49 pence which if you were going to tell me a couple of weeks ago that uh, all I had to pay to get rid of Bruce was 49 pence I would have paid it straight away and said keep the change from a 50 pence piece. You can't put a price on progress. (laughs) In this show instead of going into the the full show we will be uh, just reacting to Steve Bruce and his dismissal uh, just digesting what has happened and discussing that and then later on there will be uh, I think just as the uh, international break starts there will be a, a new full episode but leading up to this week he had two games and uh, this there was a trickle of reports in the papers saying you know he's got to win them both or that's what he'll be judged on but if he didn't beat Preston he's suddenly one win in 10 and it's like why wait until Millwall to get rid of him because you need mm. the extra week to do the search so anyway uh, obviously he didn't win against Preston it was uh, DEFCON 1 and TalkSport rang me up to go on the show I think it's TalkSport 2 so I was on the show I don't know 10, 10 minutes or so giving the case uh, to uh, why it's time to move on and then I think with literally within 3 or 4 minutes coming off that show it was announced Bruce was sacked so uh, I thought it must have uh, been quite uh, persuasive in, uh, in what I said so maybe uh, Wes Edens and Nesef uh, were listening to it anyway what, what were your initial reactions I mean a- actually being at the game in, in the context of Bruce uh, staying or going and then obviously what happened to- I wasn't surprised at all I, I, I thought we'd had the rumour that or the piece through from the Telegraph wasn't it that said he had two games I went to Bristol I thought that was alarming but it was the manner in which we lost control of the Preston game I think the, you know the ground had turned to look as we did and to look as clueless as we did from the line and it, it, it felt ominous and we heard his post-match interview which sounded as though he was, you know, it was the usual roll, roll the sleeves up but I think that his his card was marked at that point. That He, he also did almost invite them to get rid of him because he did, did state that, that way, it was, yeah, he did say, well, it's up to uh, up to other people now. No, it came as, um, it came as no surprise. So in terms of uh, the timing, I mean, let's let's run through some of the stats. Since that, the 4-1 Wolves game where, I mean, mid-February, we'd just beaten the Blues, we were seconds, and we were suddenly, despite a poor start, in you know, in the race to uh, get promoted. That started to fade. I mean, mostly because uh, at that stage, it was because Cardiff and uh, Fulham were actually on a great run. But then uh, after beating Wolves, it was in mid-March, or early March, shall I say, we were back at the races, but then since then going into this season, in terms of the league games, which will include the playoff games and the, the playoff final, he's had eight wins since Wolves in 24 games. And obviously this season he's on a run of, uh, or he was on a run of one win in the last 10 games, which I think in isolation, both of those stats uh, in this modern day is uh, are sackable. I mean, it's, it's, it's unacceptable, isn't it, to, to, for a, a Villa team anyway in this division with the resources he's had is disgraceful. You look at who they've played as well. You know, we, we haven't yeah. been playing what you'd look at and say that these are teams that are going to be challenging or dare I even say there or thereabouts. And that's why I wonder whether you look at the, you look at the results and the performance perhaps more than the results against Preston is that 
that when when Preston got a sniff of the game, they completely took control. The worst team in the division with the worst defensive record, pretty yeah. poor away record, and they looked. You know, when we lost Chester, we completely fell apart. And you know, in terms of we, we talk about Plan B, don't we? And there's been an absence of a Plan A for, for Villa for a long time. And I think that it was. I think if you were to condense Bruce's you know, his, his style into 96 minutes of football and everything that he'd done wrong at Villa. You only had to look at how we how we were in the last 40 minutes of that football game. It was chaotic. Yeah, I'd agree. I think um, the, the game, the first half was kind of showed moments of how Bruce got results last year and especially the year before. You know, I wouldn't have said we were, we were all over Preston by any means, but when we actually got chances, we were quite clinical, to be fair. And that's kind of been something that Bruce has relied on a lot in that your strikers, when mm. they get a chance, they have finished them. But as soon as, you know, things start to come unraveled, they really do fall apart quickly. Yeah, I don't agree with that. There was an air of like Monty Python-esque about the whole game. And Definitely. There's just something very hapless about Villa. When the boot's on the other foot and we've played teams with 10 men, we've seen what 10 men normally do. They get very mm. tight, they play in two banks, and essentially yeah. they're playing without a striker at the top, but that just means they don't push forward as much. So you've mm. still got that the same, uh, let's say, defensive strength. For 30 minutes now, yes, we could have been better without with 10 men. There's no question about that. Villa just fell apart. They just folded completely. And mm-hmm. you're thinking, well, here's, here's a guy who's built his reputation on his teams being tough to break down at the back. So you think 10 men is, is, is like no problem. And, you know, obviously they've got a penalty. So 2-1, uh, but you, you thought, well, you didn't think because you knew what was going to happen. <laughs> and when when the third one went in, you were not surprised. Uh, it was a, it was a almost a reminder of of winding back over the last three or four years, really, of how how Villa teams of of those seasons collapsed. But if we're looking about where it went wrong, I mean, even you know in the confines of that one match, and that's why I see it as very much the epitome of of, of why he's found himself sacked and, and why we're struggling so much this season. Look at the goalkeeper situation that we found ourselves yeah, with. Embarrassing, you know, with using the. I think most of all of us picked up on it very quickly that he's brought two keepers in. Basically, they're terrible. He shipped out the perhaps the second choice goalkeeper on loan and finds himself using the third choice goalkeeper, who we know not to be good enough. I mean, look at the look at the positioning for the for the free kick that goes in from Preston. And if that had yeah. been Nyland, we'd have been screaming. <laughs> you know, and those are the kind of things that defy defy logic in in, in his team selections. The game, uh, the the Preston game, was really proof that Bruce's luck had just run out and, and it's run its course. You know, there were so many games last year and especially the season before where he'd had that knack of being able to play badly but get results. And that's that ability seems to have seeped out of this Villa team. You know, in the previous years, Kodja would nick a goal. Last year, there were moments of genius. So we had an ability to have a moment of quality or grind out a result and that just seems to have dissipated um you know the penalty decision kind of summed up you know another day it's either not a penalty or it's a penalty and a a yellow card the fact that he got a red which i don't think it was according to the law anyway but the fact that even bruce can't get the breaks with those little things you just think this is a guy who cannot buy a win he can't get a break you just think this his luck has run out really i think it showed the fragility didn't it as well 
Yeah, but I don't think it's about it's about being it's not about being Bruce being unlucky. Well, you make your own look. I mean, I'm a firm believer in that, and I think that you look how fragile. Just take our defence was. You know, we we lost Chester, and then we're swapping in Bree. We've taken off a striker yet again, and he made the wrong the wrong striker. I might add the wrong striker. I mean, I was at Ashton Gate when we ended up with with all the wingers on the pitch, all the creativity, and no no bugger in the box to to blast them. Didn't we finish Uh, last night with four right backs? Yeah. yeah, across the, across the but, back. And, and those are the kind of things that they, they're glaring, aren't they? They're glaring errors for a, a seasoned manager. If I may argue in his corner, in terms of if you're playing with ten men, and I'm you've throwing got to cabbages one, at your corner right now, and, yeah, and you've got to and you've got to choose one striker. The fact that Codger can get the ball and then occupy four players, mm. I could see the logic uh, of him staying on because he he can be a nuisance when he's got the ball. He's he's not going to. Uh, pass it to anybody but the whole idea is he, he will run the clock down when he's trying to beat five players or whatever it is so I can kind of understand why he went for Codger over Abraham in that respect in, in game it was because Codger had, had faded badly as already yeah, at that well, point I, yeah I agree yeah and so it wasn't so much that because I agree with what you're saying that in terms of the hold-up player that he's shown up that that you know that trickery but it was the wrong choice at that moment, and then for just a, as as the game really did turn on its head for him to then withdraw Codger, I think for Balassi, you know, it was again, it was you think this is a desperate roll of the dice, really, without any plan. It's really just get, get on there and try and affect the game. But really. to be fair, it it paid off because Balassi did get that equaliser. It did, but I don't think you could say that it was it was it was a true kitchen sink job, really. That yeah, that was been you know there well, was we no... hadn't when we got the corner we hadn't actually crossed the halfway line had we barely in the second half I don't think no 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 exactly I think that was the first time we actually had the ball in their penalty area yeah, yeah, which shows yeah. how bad Preston were this is the interesting thing we had when we went three two down and then suddenly went for it we were capable even with ten men because we have the players and the quality to impose mm. ourselves on Preston and you know we should have won the game let's let's be honest here we had a proper penalty taker at that time. It's just typically Villa, isn't it, when you're walking it at half-time? But it's another example of the players are there in the squad to do much better than we are doing. Because even when we were down to 10 men, 3-2 down, we still managed to uh, you know, get at Preston. And they seem to be up for it because this, this is not the first time we've uh, rallied in the last seconds. And this is a no. great trait to have. It's a great trait to have, not, not to give up. Yeah. In, I've, you know, I've heard, you know, there's one Villa fan saying, oh, the fitness, there's, there's nothing wrong with our fitness. We're playing to the end and, and we're getting most of our points in the last, uh, well, in injury time. But but I think the thing that stuck out for me, particularly because of the opposition we've, and caveat it with, with the respect, is that Preston are the worst side in the division and we haven't played anyone of any real note in the league yet. And I just thought that it was the, it's the frustration, as, as you say, that on the one hand, even with ten men, we could hurt them, but but we we hadn't really worked out how to. But the ease at which that when they when they thought, Do you know what, we we can get into this game. Yeah. The ease at which, even with a bank of of two two fours, they got through us. And that's we're straying off the topic of Bruce here. But I mm. was just quickly, I was not impressed with our midfields, uh, which had no shape when we were down to ten men, and nah, they just nah. allowed themselves to be run through at will. They'd actually been run through earlier, you know, because at, at half time. Mm. Alex Nicholl, to be fair to him, had obviously given Preston a bollocking and brought Daniel Johnson on and straight away you could see the change of shape and they overran Mm. us in midfield before they even got the penalty. Then with the extra man, it was essentially five against three. Yeah, We couldn't get the ball back and we couldn't keep the ball either. There was was never an outlet for when Hurahan, McGeehan or Grealish got the ball. Grealish sort of cut a very frustrated, desperate figure. In the second half, as a lot of I think, of the if you were to look at our midfield, there was, you'd have been... no, there was no shape to the midfield. What what was that shape, and 
what 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 shape were we going for? You know, McGinn was. I was watching McGinn as the game went on because his influence faded. You know, he did, he did that. You know, his terrier like in the in the first half in setting up that and earning that um, assist, I suppose, for for Abraham's goal. Then in the second half, the game passed him by for long periods, and you thought, what yeah. is he actually playing? And you know, what what is his role in the second half? In the same with Hurahan, is that is that individual players not affecting the game? Is that Bruce's fault because they've been said they've been told play to this plan? You know, it's. It's this is it. Attitude. I don't. I don't think players really know their roles. I mean, previously, no, the, the the previous game, in the amount of times uh, at Bristol that I, I saw Codger pop up and yeah. just in front of the right back, you'd thinking, "What the hell's he doing there?" It's, this is a complete waste of time. I, I thought the same about at, at Bristol and again against Preston about Bjarnason. That you can see all the technical attributes that Bjarnason's got, and we don't take any advantage of them. You know what? It, it all boils down to. I don't think in the end Bruce actually knew what his best team was or what the best positions for the player. Because I think it, we've got a decent squad. I think it's very unbalanced. You know, just look yeah. at the right backs, for instance, and the, and the midfield option, options we've got. And what that's created is, you know, it, in line with this plan to try and rotate Yedinak and try and include Whelan at certain points, is it's confused the picture. You know, we haven't got a shape. We haven't got a go-to formation and set of players where you think, right, that's the 11 that's going to get us promotion. Well, as, as he admitted uh, himself uh, a few games back in the post-match uh, interview, he'd got the players in and now he just had to find a system for them. And uh, it should be the other way around. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's on the tip of everyone's tongue, isn't it? Because that was essentially what you just described, what Wolves did, is they said, right, this is our philosophy and this is our, yeah. you know, this is how we're going to play. Let's get the players to fit that. And uh, I'm not going to say that that's going to work every time, but the, the way that we've gone about it is um, it's chronic because another manager, and we're going to get to it shortly, is I think going to pick the pick the pieces up there. And I think what, they'll, what we'll find is we've perhaps got a number of good players who actually are all in the same position, you know. So yeah. it could be a lot of backfilling. I mean, let's let's get let's get back on to Bruce yeah. uh, as a manager. Uh, we kind of strayed off a little bit. Uh, obviously, Preston's fresh in our heads. How, how much of an impact in terms of his personal situation last season do you think that had on Villa faltering uh, in the final kind of weeks? I mean, obviously, it's not ideal, but you see a lot in the media all mentioning this. But uh, is it important to, like, separate that? So do you think Villa fans have turned too sharply on Bruce? Or do you think it's just a matter of of results not being good enough? I think certainly from the fans I speak to regularly is that actually a lot of Villa fans have been more than respectful of him. Yeah. Even in their criticism, you know, you're always going to get idiots who make very personal attacks and they go after his son on Twitter. And I'm not, I don't agree with that. And I don't particularly think throwing vegetables is uh, is particularly classy either, although quite amusing yeah. in the fallout. Yeah. But I just think there was, there were points last season when, you know, the, the, his personal life clearly affected him. But what you tended to find through those games, I think there was, it was definitely in the Blues game it, I think that was when it first broke that the news and the Wolves yeah. game similarly. And actually it had a positive effect on the team because you noticed through that period, the players really rallied round. I remember um, yeah. numerous times when they were celebrating goals and they all ran over to Bruce. There was a real yeah. sort of togetherness as is often the case when those sorts of things happen. I think what might have happened the longer it went on was that the sort of the mental fatigue of everything that's gone on in Bruce's private life has sort of seeped into his decision making. Certainly, this season to the, at the start of the season, he was just making a lot of decisions that are just tired, sort of fatigued decisions. It's just the mm. the kind of the thought process of a man who's just not quite at the races. He's not sharp because he was making decisions that 
he'd already made last season and admitted publicly last season were mistakes. Yeah, and he's almost overcompensated for things like, you know, last season he probably didn't rotate his squad enough when he more than had the resources. This year, he's kind of completely gone the opposite way and overly rotated and actually has had no continuity. So I think he's kind of, I can I can respect what's gone on, gone on in his private life. I can except that, you know, fair play, he could have very easily walked away after Fulham and said, you know, bollocks to this, I've got stuff going on, I don't need this hassle anymore, especially with all the yeah. financial stuff going on. So fair play to him for that. But on the flip side, you know, football's a, you know, it's a, a harsh business he's in. He knows that it's a results game and the numbers sort of speak for themselves. And if you take the numbers aside, the performances do as well. You know, people who've watched Villa regularly aren't seeing progress and people aren't talking about necessarily just this season or the period after things went on in his private life, people are talking about right back to last October. You know, this, yeah. this isn't a an overnight thing. You know, Bruce is sort of playing on the fact that the fans have turned on him in after five games of this season, and that's really yeah. out of order to throw that at the supporters because actually the you know the mad few have been very cynical of him really since the January sort of the Christmas period of the first yeah. season he was there. You know when we. We kind of got within touching distance of the top six and then completely imploded. And at the same time, I think the mad few have also been pretty patient with him and, and have taken into account his personal situation. But if this season, for example, we're in the Premier League and we're in you know 13th, 14th, 15th place, whatever, I think Bruce is, is still staying on. But in the division we're in, there's only one solution we're looking for and it doesn't matter where you finish we just have to get promoted full stop it's no good having a good season finishing fourth and not getting promoted that means nothing you might as well finish you know 19th doesn't matter Mm. and I think that's the point that we're now a season too late and and facing the prospect that if you don't get promoted this season that you know we we I mean that the problems that we experienced in the summer will be nothing when you apply a massive point deduction and a fine to the situation you can have a as many billionaire owners as you want I think if to to add my bit in because I think Chris has summarized and yourself very well I think fairly how how I and I think how how moderate Villa fans would feel about Bruce is and, and all I would add in is that it is is something that Chris mentioned on the last podcast that Bruce did you know he, he looked tired and he looked like he needed a break from football you know that was yeah. I think that's a very honest reflection that he, he had this isn't about this isn't a personal issue that, that I think many Villa fans would have with Bruce I think that if you're looking at it from a professional point of view of what he was charged to do at the football club is that actually we're you know he recovered us from a dreadful position when he inherited it under under Dimate and I think he laid down some of the groundwork what we didn't do what he wasn't capable of doing. For a variety of reasons, some his fault, some I think Dr. Tony's, and maybe you know yeah. maybe Wyness to some less greater or lesser degree. He he didn't establish a style on the on the field or off the field for the football club. And what has happened is for, for a number of weeks and months, you know, I was I was very very open in saying that I was on the fence with with Bruce. But there's been yeah. a rapid deterioration where I think football clubs don't fear playing Aston Villa because we we've been worked out and we're vulnerable across. A number of areas of the pitch, uh, and I think I think it's very sad that what's what's happened to Bruce in his in his private life, and I, and I think it would be naive to think that that hasn't impacted upon him in the workplace. You know, it, it has to have. Yeah. And, and I think that that's something that you know it's admirable in on the one hand that he that he carried on and pushed through. But if we park all that to one side, his his job as as, as manager of our football club was to get us promoted ultimately last season. And I, I think if circumstances had been different with the club financially, I think he probably would have been sacked in the summer. Really. In, in, yeah. If, if we're completely honest, 
in the first season, he was, I mean, he was openly saying that he had arrived at the Blues uh, in a worse position at a similar time and got them promoted via the playoffs. Mm. And you could tell by what he was saying, and he actually admitted that was his aim that this season, and it was attainable. I mean, we were in a poor position when he started, but hey, so were, you know, teams like Wolves and uh, Cardiff at the time he took the job. I mean, Warn, you know, Cardiff were actually below us, and Neil Warnock got the job in the same mm. week as Bruce. But the thing was... So he failed in the first season mm. in my book. I mean, my mm. book, you know, he was within, I think it was around Christmas, the turn of the year, within about five points of the playoffs. Mm. I, th- I think we were actually closer, you know. I, th- I think, if yeah. I remember rightly, we, we beat Burton on Boxing Day and I think we went within about two or three points of the playoffs. Mm. I think we were at seventh or eighth position. Yeah, and and you expected us to kick on, is, is what I'm saying. And they were attainable, is also what I'm saying. So he yeah, failed yeah. there. They, and that's been a theme badly. of the Bruce era, hasn't it? That we've never we've never gone on a sustained run at any point, really, where where you would thought, you know, we're, we're the absolute business here. You know, we we would make statements like thrashing Wolves and beating the Blues, and then and then our form would collapse. And it's it's and how many cycles of that you can tolerate tolerate really without uh, becoming intolerable, I guess. And meanwhile, you've you've got the press essentially telling us and uh, almost force feeding it to fans that this is the promotion expert uh, the promotion expert i uh, hasten to add that's never won the championship mm. and uh, you know scrambled through most of the times and then also even to this day uh, i just saw somebody mention on twitter alan brazil on uh, talkspot running a mm. a segment his, his uh, friend. that v- <laughs> that Villa fans were bitter with Bruce and giving him a hard time because of his Blues connection. I mean, no, come on, we're, no. we're, we're above that. I mean, no. I mean, for example, you know, we're, Alan, Alan Brazil's not fit to intellectually shine our shoes and that's not being, <laughs> uh, and we're talking about us and our listeners. It's, no, I mean, I they're just running on, you know, the basic common denominator bullshit just to get, you know, listeners but I was thinking there's a, there's a small other dimension to this as well, and, and it's something that I don't think has been picked upon as being nearly as important as I think it is. Is that that football managers go through phases where their style of their style of management and their style of play is effective, and I suppose the more f- the current one would be that Mourinho is all of a sudden starting to look like quite an outdated manager. Not because his yeah. style perhaps didn't work at a time, but football progresses, it changes, it adapts, and yeah, I think if you look back at the Championship ten years ago, it wouldn't have been seeing styles of play and, and the kind of money and an approach that we've seen with Wolves. You look how Brighton, you know, got very organised behind the scenes and, and over a period of, of years, you know, developed into a good outfit with, with Chris Hewton. Uh, and you look at, you know, Newcastle with Benitez and the spending and the, you know, the, the just the sheer brute force promotion that they achieved. Yeah. You know, and Bruce's style against it, especially when you look at how Warnock got Cardiff out of the division, it, it made him look... I don't want to use the term dinosaur because that's the, that's one, but it he didn't his game didn't evolve, did it? Let, let's in, in many ways, like Warnock, Warnock's team was kind of similar to Bruce with the Blues back in the day when he when they came up and uh, beat Villa in that first season. They they played as uh, did the double over us, didn't they? With Bruce in charge, it was kind of this blood and thunder in your face. Yeah, uh, I was about 100% to say that percent effort, which we we've mm. never really shown that. So, I was about to say Cardiff were, were effective at what they could do across the pitch. We've always looked. Yeah. You can always look at a Villa starting eleven under Bruce. Unfortunately, in the Preston and uh, Bristol game and the Sheffield Wednesday game were no different. You could circle players on the team sheet who you thought, if I was the opposition, I'd be looking there. Uh, that's always been the worry for me that we haven't had. You know, just briefly touching upon a Warnock team that you wouldn't necessarily know many names on the team sheet, but you'd say, well, you go, I see what his job in the team is. I see what he's trying to do. 
As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order mug delivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Yeah, yeah. I think last season we had a, a better team than this season in terms of actually being a team. Absolutely. And balance as well. And I think last year what we what we had that we seem to lack at the moment is right up the field. We actually had a, a relative like leader or a stable player. Mm. We had a much stabler goalkeeper. We had a much more solid yeah. centre-back pairing. I think in the middle of the park, we actually knew that it would be Yedinak or Whelan more often than not. I don't think Bjarnason had come into the fray as much. I think we knew that through the middle, certainly later on, it would be probably Graben leading the line. We had Snodgrass, who further up the field would lead our attacks. We had focal points all over the field, mm. I think, now. We didn't have a collective team as such, but there was just a, a bit more like strength in area, shall we say. Yeah, you look at us now, and I think if you're an opposition, you look at how Villa are set up, and it's mm. very much a case of if you double up or triple up, as it has has been the case on Grealish... <laughs> you can really stifle Villa. Whereas actually yeah. you look on the team sheet and there should still be enough. If you took Grealish out of that side, they, sh- they should still have enough to be more than competitive against the sides that they've been playing. Well, I've dropped hints in recent player rating columns to uh, actually you could drop Grealish because at the moment there's nobody running off him. There's not that much movement. So most of the time uh, the scenario is he gets the ball, he runs into traffic or or he gets you know taken out and we get a free kick. But there seems to be no end result. I mean, you look at all the great players, they they manage, they're quicker of mind, they're quicker of th- mm. thought because they're targeted and that doesn't stop their end product. And you don't just see them continually being fouled with there being no end product. He hasn't kind of quite learnt yet how to evade that challenge, how to evade that kind of man marker and how to get the ball off a bit earlier. That might be one of the... Um... That might be one of the reasons why you'd look at, say, if he had if he had gone to Spurs, 
their fans might be looking at looking at him going, well, he's not a Deli Ali and he's not a Son and he's not a Den Bailey and he's mm. not an Ericsson. He's not. He's, he simply isn't in that league yet. Yeah. Can he be? Probably. Is he near there? No, not at the moment. Whereas you look at how someone like Madison steps up into the Premier League and he's done really well. He looks Premier League ready. Yeah, because Grealish likes to slow the play down as soon as he receives the ball, which is probably not the greatest way to go in the championship because as soon as he does that, he's swamped and he's suddenly making life harder for himself. And I think that's something he has to uh, address. There's, there's a. I was just about to say exactly that. That my one, the one thing that forces me to roll my eyes with Grealish, and I, and I do think he's, he's, he's a real, he's an excellent talent and with and a genuine threat that we carry. There's two things he does. He, he is, he's very guilty of taking the pace out of attacks, especially when we're on the break. And there's a second annoying thing that I've seen that he's developing, and that's indecision when he's breaking in on goal. Yeah. Key moments actually. I mean, it was evident against Preston again where he, he was bursting in on goal, had the opportunity to release a player delayed we lost possession and there was another occasion quite early in the first half where he burst forward and he had plenty more time where he could have carried the ball in closer on goal but he fired an effort you know not so far wide but you think it's that it's that um discipline not as wide as Hutton's attempt oh good grief well <laughs> that, that was shades who, of shades yeah. of Emil Heskey that was against Manchester United there, there back, is when... you know Grealish is Grealish we can we can um allow for inexperience and youth and, and the fact that he's got to develop with I think better players around him in time. Hutton is Hutton is Hutton. I think. I don't want. I, I, sorry, I didn't want to take you off the Grealish. I just wanted to throw that in as a quick game. No, but don't I talk, think don't waste don't waste our time talking about Hutton. No, okay. Um, <laughs> you know, but in a sentence, I wanted to I wanted to capture that it, it, it's another one that personifies the Bruce era. Uh, that, uh, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've got the Scottish Cafu and expect that we're going to be. Yeah, come on. Um, but yeah, Grealish, Grealish, but you know, he needs to. I was just saying, he needs to develop that discipline. Where I think top top players, especially at this level, you know, he at the moment he's trading a little bit still on promise and on his name, and he needs to start delivering yeah. for the club. And and um, you know, I think only we'll we'll never know. We'll never know who who really took charge of that ninety sixth minute penalty. But I, I want my marquee player stepping up and lashing that home in front of the I was just person. about to say that. Your Deli Alli's, your Ronaldo's, Michael Owen, whoever, when they're 23. Is Deli Alli 23 yet? <laughs> and I you get a penalty, so. they, they pick it up and they yeah. take it. Considering who's on the pitch and, you know, you're looking at, it's either Grealish, it's McGinn, it's Belassi. Yeah. And I thought Belassi would well, take Bionison it. Well, Bjarnason even. Bjarnason, although he was still feigning injury after he won, after he won the penalty, he was assaulted think... by Daniel Johnson. It was quite clear. <laughs> <laughs> he did. I mean, like like the uh, Preston player won that penalty. Uh, Bjarnason yes. definitely definitely won this. But you know, fair play to him. We need some yep. of that uh, yep. Yep. continental wiliness uh, in our in our team. But yeah, I, I understand the whole. Uh, well, the experienced men will take it, but. The experienced Whelan, who uh, has scored one goal in seven seasons, does mm. not take that penalty if nobody else is going for it. If Grealish says that this is mine, he's not going to say, no, no, Jack, this one's mine. I am the best penalty taker in the uh, in the squad. And if Balassi says, no, I'm taking yeah. it, Balassi takes it. But I just want to bring this back to Bruce. Mm. I don't know if you saw, there's, there is a video going about... When Whelan's going up to take that penalty, before he even starts his run, we're talking a good, you know, a minute before, Bruce has turned his back on the situation. He's facing the other way. Now, I mean, it's a quantum jump to Pep Guardiola, but Pep Guardiola and even Martin O'Neill, let's let's use Martin O'Neill, 
Martin O'Neill or Pep or that kind of manager is living the game. They're in mm. it. You know, they they would be calling out who's going to take that penalty. And if Whelan says, I'll take it, and they know that, you know, Balassi should take it, they would he would tell Balassi to take it. But Bruce almost turned his back on the situation. And for me, that was just, and I'm not interested in this superstitious bollocks about, so, I mean, in a penalty shootout when the tensions are high, you know, maybe. But in this situation, his fucking job was on the line and he should have been less passive in that situation. Absolutely. I, 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 I... It's a thing of it's yeah. trust and responsibility, isn't it, on all sides? It's who does who does Bruce trust? And then on the field, who does, no, does Whelan potentially go, do you know what, I don't trust you guys to bury this. But there's a couple of ways of looking at it, I, I, and, I, and I, this is the. Un, I, I've looked at the video over and over again, and I'm not. You know, some people are saying that Whelan was waving people away. There's, you know, from what I can see, there's a, a very minimal debate in the premier in the penalty area around who's taking yeah. it. And there was. Yeah. I'm awfully unsettled about you know what that meant. The players would have. You know, it's not just about turning that game around. What that meant in terms of the manager's future potentially, and there was a. It stinks of Whelan being the only one who had the bollocks to put that on the spot for me yeah, because yeah. all the things all the things we've just been talking about don't point towards him naturally getting the ball and like yeah. you say where are the you know you've already quite rightly said that I think that you, your marquee players who are thinking bloody hell I've got a chance not, not only to put another goal against my name here to win the game to thump it home in front of the halt end and potentially save the manager's skin yeah it's the fact that nobody no, no one was tearing the ball out of his hands, were they? No way Whelan takes that penalty if other people are interested. Exactly, and that's what I can't believe that if, um, and this, given the given the importance, given of, given that what that meant, you know, just a mere matter of seconds and minutes earlier, we were losing that game. It was three two. It was, it was dead and buried. You know, I I don't understand there. Bruce didn't want to make sure that the right. Yeah, you know, drawing upon all that experience, you know, you're telling me in his days at Man United that Ferguson would have turned away at that moment and just let anyone, you know, frick, fucking Gary Pallister or someone wander up to them, but you know, it just wouldn't have happened. Gary Pallister was quite good at uh, penalties. He used to belt them straight down the middle, if which I, is if exactly I what right. Whelan should have done, by the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> should have just fucking leathered it. And I think, as I mentioned earlier on, he he had three touches of the ball in the in the eight minutes he was on the pitch, and you really want your pl- uh, penalty takers to actually have warmed up in the game mm. so to speak so yeah that was baffling and and you can put it at the foot you know the foot of uh, Bruce in in that respect I mean granted there was no player on the pitch who had taken a penalty for Villa before if I'm uh, not mistaken but as we've said and we'll say it again the fact that Whelan was the only one to you know have the balls to do it says a lot of the players that weren't volunteering I agree so well done Whelan you got him sacked you and the cabbage <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just quickly I mean we, we can talk about this more uh, on the next show but in terms of potential managers to replace Bruce and the kind of direction uh, you would want Villa to go now we are looking at this for the second time for example Thierry Henry no experience but the character of the man suggests Whelan wouldn't have been taking that penalty if Thierry mm. Henry was the manager in terms of Henri, would you give it to a somebody who uh, obviously hasn't had any experience so far, legitimate experience so far, and hope that he's razzle-dazzle? I mean, I think players would, if they won the first few games, they would play for him and, and he'd be off to the races. It's, hard, it's really hard to gauge with Henri because in the short term, I actually think he would probably come in and sort of inspire a few of them and he'd certainly yeah. demand respect. And, you know, and sort of get the best out of people like, you know, Codger and Abraham, I'm sure, would respond to him. At the back, would he be 
defensively clued up enough to get the most out of what we've got at this particular moment. I who don't who know. would be? He, he should. You would have. You would think he'd have. Um, yeah. You would think he'd have contacts. He might be able to pull a few strings, be it in France or at Arsenal or elsewhere. You know, he'll have he'll have a very tasty phone book. I'm sure. Whether or not this is the right job for him right now, I don't know. And there's also a lot of reports that he's actually holding out for a job in the Premier League. Yeah, but I think he has to uh, prove himself first somewhere. He has to cut his teeth somewhere. But in, in I mean, we could go through every bloody name it would take, uh, take ages. But in terms of the type of, are we talking long-term manager here to get us promotion and be the manager for the next three or four seasons if such a manager exists? Because most managers tend to last two seasons tops. Are we talking about a manager short term just to get us up and then we readdress the situation you put him on a one-year contract and you readdress the situation uh, if we get promoted or you know we don't bruce was essentially the safe bet who is like the yeah he'll get you up in a couple of seasons guarantee yeah. that hasn't worked i think there has to be a certain amount of especially with the new regime coming in who are obviously thinking about sustainability and moving forward and doing things correctly i think they have to think of someone who will build something because potentially, if this season doesn't go well, the goalposts are going to move dramatically and somebody who's going to require big financing to get Villa up might not be the, the way to go. That's where potentially someone like a Dean Smith or someone who has experience with a smaller budget being more sort of wily, clever in the market, can get the best out of what he's got and also be very hands-on on the coaching side, which apparently Bruce yeah. wasn't. You know, I think from what the, the press have been talking about, the, the two or three that sort of jump off the page, obviously Armory is the, the kind of the box office name, but very unproven. Dean Smith, there's no guarantee yeah. he'll leave Brentford. He's just, he's, he's recently signed a contract extension and he, but I think he believes in what he's doing there. He's certainly in a position where he isn't going to get sacked This is not a vintage year for championship teams and Brentford are actually probably got I'd say one of their better teams in recent years. So if there's ever a season that Brentford can get to the Premier League, I think this is it. So it's up to him whether he wants to, uh, let's say, run with a team that he's built or do the whole childhood dream kind yeah. of uh, adventure. I think if if he wants to play that, you know, that the sort of the childhood dream card, I think now would be the time because I think if Villa got their shit together and got themselves promoted, I think that I don't know no, if that yeah, opportunity would come again. Because you don't necessarily, you don't necessarily know, is you, you don't know where the glass ceiling is for him with Brentford. Um, you know, ha- will he take them as far as he can and then eventually run out of steam if they can't actually get it over the line? You know, without big investment that I don't think they have access to. This could be the big opportunity for him. Once upon a time, Villa got the uh, the hot young manager of the lower leagues in Graham Turner going back in the 80s and that basically led us to get relegated because he uh, was completely out of his depth and you know after success with Shrewsbury was a different uh, kettle of fish to mm. actually taking over the former European champions mm. at the time I, th- I think that might be where, where where I would chip in is that I you know we, we've you know that the, the lists of names are already starting to appear and I think we're going to have to tolerate <laughs> tolerate a lot of this over the next couple of weeks. But I mean, all all I would throw into the mix is I think that this is every appointment where we have a change in manager over the last couple of years has felt like a, a very a significant appointment that we need to get right. I think that we're fast approaching last chance saloon with the end game. Th- th- I think we are in terms of the you know the immediacy that we we need to get out of this league this season, else things are going to change drastically. And um, without wanting to be prophets of doom. The reality is, again, that the, the lifespan of a manager is two seasons. For the first time, I, I'm, I'm perhaps going to 
my view is I think that we need to we need to cast the net very wide. I think we need to get a manager who's going to fit in this quite modern way of of working, where really it's a head coach that sits alongside what sounds to be a sporting director, and and I don't have any particular issue with that. But I think that we almost need a we need a blend. Yeah, there's a lot of let's say youngish, uh, and when I say youngish, I'm talking around the you know the mid forty kind of range European mm. managers out there. You know, like Oscar Garcia. Sanchez Flores, uh, even you know Paolo Fonesca, who's at uh, Shakhtar at the so moment. Different. We need someone to inspire. We need someone to hit the ground running now that we almost can't. Yeah, I, I do see the argument for saying you know, we, you know, I see, I see the logic in saying someone like Dean Smith, but on the other hand, there, there's a there's elements of risk there, and don't get me wrong, there's risk with it with I think any appointment that we'll be making because I, I you know, I think there's a. You know, from some of the the phone-ins and some of the the comments online, I think there's a belief that Aston Villa will have the pick of managers. I think that yeah. we, I do think that we we carry, you know, we carry some weight, especially with I think a European manager who might be looking to make make a name for themselves. But also, I think that we come with huge professional risk. Yeah, mainly because of our owners will will make it attractive. Ex- well, exactly. But I also think that you don't have to look much further than someone like a Remy Gard, who was considered a top up and coming coach. And you get tarnished, I think, Aston Villa very quickly and very easily. Um, yeah, well, he, well he, he, he walked into an ambush, essentially, oh, was, I think. It, yeah, exa- well, exactly. He wandered, yeah, an ambush is, is quite right. But I, I do think that we almost need to change the narrative and very, very quickly with, with Aston Villa. That we need a blend. We need that. Perhaps we do need the personality of an Henri. We do need the, the unpredictability of a Garcia. You know, but they've all got flaws and they've all got risk. You know, Garcia's banded around. Very exciting, very you know, up and coming mid forties manager, but leaves clubs very, very quickly. I think he's, he hasn't got a club at the moment. I don't think. No, but, he hasn't. As an example, uh, I think this is a big appointment, and, and I think it's if there's one good thing to go to come out of um, you know the very sudden departure of Bruce and before the Millwall game, I think it's that it buys us a bit of time to really think about this. Yeah, it's almost three weeks, isn't it? Really, they're, they're going to give themselves, or at least two weeks, because they want to give him time with the. With the players, sorry, just to uh, caveat that, and you know they've been looking for the last few mm. weeks. Mm. Sorry, carry on. If you did, but no, I, I think we discussed before. You would imagine as soon as they arrived, they would have given Bruce the respect yeah. of giving him time. But they would have on the side, they would have been looking. That, you know, this is what how we want to do things here. You know, as we said in the last podcast, you know, they got rid of. Mm. I think he was mm. seven members of his support staff. They've got rid of all his, you know, all of his backroom staff and him. No, it is essentially a complete yeah. clear out on the footballing side now. One thing I'd say that for someone new coming in is that firstly, Villa have been dreadful. And yet I think as things stand, we're probably two, three points off the playoffs. We know we're not cast miles adrift yet. You know, you look at the players we've got and I think most managers will come in and yeah. go, yeah, I can work with that. They'll probably want to add defensively in January, but you'd you'd like to think with the 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 assets we have, if we can get our shit together, there's no reason why you can't be there or thereabouts, as it were, challenging. Yeah, relatively this league, quickly. This league is not um, good because the the, the no. end goal isn't going to change. I'd say top to bottom, from first to twenty fourth, the average of each side is the yeah. weakest it's been for a long time. I mean, we said uh, in previous podcasts earlier in the season when Villa were playing well. Do you look down the, those list of teams and really fear anyone? And even though teams are getting a bit of form, I look at, you know, West Brom are in form, Middlesbrough, Leeds who've started well, 
Sheffield United who've started but West well. Brom are, sorry to jump in, Chris. West Brom are a good example. They've you look at the squad, they've not made drastic or radical changes. And I think though they came down in better shape than we did, this this again goes to back to the, the chronic summer that we had that they basically went and did the business that we should have done. They got a stable goalkeeper because they needed one. And they went and got yeah. someone like um Dwight Gale who at this level, you know, will will score your goals all day long, you know. And yeah. that's the annoying thing that um to take your phrase, if we'd have kept our shit together and paid our bills, I think that we'd have come out the other side. Yeah, we'd have lost a few of the lone players, but I think that you could have had a more measured summer with or without Bruce. And I think that you would have arrived into this season going, hang on a minute, you know, there'd have been, there'd been none of this, so that's the championship rubbish. Because I think we'd have been looking across the landscape and going, do you know what? You know, Le- Leeds, it's a tombola, what they're going to be doing week to week. And I think if you can if you can get on a run and you can, uh, you know, start to make teams fear you because you're starting to string wins together, I think this you, you can pull away. And, and I think a new manager, yeah. so long as we don't do something chronically stupid, and, and I, I hope to God we don't, we, we don't look in that pool of managers who seem to be on rotation with football clubs. I'm talking about the Moises, the Allardyces and, and company and Pardews. I, I hope to God we don't get beguiled by by one of those types of managers because yeah. we've been there, we've done that. Or the fireworks of Paolo Di Canio. It's, uh, the, it, the, the thought of that and, and, and an era like that, I, don't, I can't see that happening, but stranger things have happened in football. From the way the owners have come across, they seem quite reserved. I don't think they're... They don't have the sort of public persona of the uh, the doctor had, as it were. I think they they know they've got to get it right this time. They don't want a stellar name. They want the right guy for the job. Yeah. 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 And so, and, in, and in everything else they've done so far, it seems that they've been quite methodical. You now they didn't come in in the first few weeks and start chopping people. And you now they could have very easily come in and sacked Bruce instantly, mm. got rid of all his backroom staff, and said, right, the rebuild starts now. Because there will be a lot of the support, I would imagine, who would actually, in hindsight, say that's what they should have done and actually giving themselves longer to rebuild. Potentially, we might have had a, a pattern of play by now, but... But I, I think that they've, what they've thing. done is, I thought like the, the game, you know, walking away from the Preston game, I thought that that was absolutely the right moment to sack Bruce. If you were going to do yeah. it, I could see the logic for that. Yeah. You know, I have to say, yeah, you know, I, I thought, as you well know, I'd sat on the fence for a long, long time with this, but it's got worse and worse and worse to the point where you can't, you know, there was no discernible plan and we look about as far away as we've ever been from being promotion candidates under Bruce. But, yeah. Um, yeah, as I say that I, I thought, you know, what, I kind of thought, well, why, why are we waiting for Millwall if we're only, you know, what, what's what's going to change between now and then? And I wonder whether that's the realisation that they've arrived at that, you know, what, why not, you know? I think well, yeah, Mill- Millwall's not going to, that one game's not going to tell you anything you didn't no. know and uh, you no. just, you've, you've only got two weeks anyway, so you might as well make it almost three weeks. Mm. So we've all decided, Martin O'Neill, manager, and Roy Keane, assistant manager. The dream team. Is, is Paul Lambert still available? Because what I think is his, yeah, his style of play is now... Director of football. Yeah. Well, his, his style of play, he's now, he was ahead of the curve before. Way yeah, ahead of no, his time. And uh, Football has finally <laughs> caught up to Lambert. He, he, he could teach old Nuno at uh, Wolves a, a trick or two, couldn't he? He nowadays? sure could. Uh, but seriously speaking, uh, it's it's an interesting equation. I mean, it, obviously the news is just uh, broken and we're recording a reactionary podcast to the situation. So in the next show, uh, obviously the picture may uh, become a bit clearer, but we'll discuss it more uh, in depth then. Uh, is there any manager straight away that you just pray does not uh, cloud our doorstep? I would probably say Sam Allardyce. I think, yeah, or probably financially, you wouldn't want to go anywhere near Harry Redknapp. <laughs> he, surely he's retired now. He's probably due a bonus, isn't he, for keeping us up? 
I'd cry if someone like Pardew came or we made a chronic, you know, chronic mistake like that. Yeah, if Pardew came now, I, I, I'm not talking about him or writing about him. I think that's me done. It's over if he comes. Yeah, it's over. Or Oof. McCarthy, I'm not quite sure. There's a few people brandishing Mick McCarthy's name around. I'm not sure why. People say Rafa Benitez, but Rafa Benitez has got former beef with our uh, CEO, so that's not going to happen. The fact that Rafa Benitez is quoted as saying uh, he knows nothing about football... Uh, probably is an indication he's not coming and also he's at a Premier League club and he's done that championship thing he doesn't need to do it again yeah. he certainly doesn't I think even someone like a Ranieri could be quite interesting Ooh. whether he's you know is he a bit I know he's obviously older is he more experienced but he did you know amazing things with a relatively small budget at Leicester Ooh, was that the old Pearson team that team was set up for him really yeah it was ready to rock and there's and obviously roll. the talk of someone like Brendan Rodgers from Celtic you know has he has he taken Celtic as far as he can you know th- have they reached that glass ceiling where if they don't have the money to compete how they used to in Europe, is he going to want to stick around? Let's let's remind ourselves that Brendan Rodgers is the man who failed to get Liverpool past a Tim Sherwood-managed uh, Villa team in the semi-final of the FA Cup. <laughs> what an insult that is. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be going for Rodgers, but Rodgers... It's it's kind of uh, he may do if you know what I mean. It's not you're not super excited, but you're thinking, well, you know, he could get the job done. I mean, romanticism like Olaf Melberg and stuff like that. It's I'm sorry, but I, I, you know, I'm not buying into that. I think are we all probably in agreement then that although there are lots of potential sort of candidates at the moment, there's no what you'd call obvious fit, is there? There's no one who sort of jumps off the page who you go, yeah, that's he's got to be the guy or. He'd, he'd slot straight in and he'd do the job straight off the bat. I, don't, I, I think don't... it's easier to circle the, the the guys you don't want at this yeah, point. Yeah, agreed. I think I think what I was hinting at earlier on is it's kind of up to potential managers to actually sell themselves, if you know what I and mean. And their sort us. of vision. And... It's not as if we are there in the market just picking and going, oh, this one will, will do us good. Because there's a lot of, lot of uh, managers out there who we've mentioned who there's a lot of uncertainty about. So you need them, mm. you know, three dudes doing a podcast you, you need to be three men in the boardroom actually talking to them face to face this is also could be a step back for some of the managers uh, mm. i mean they're looking at a villa team in decay they're looking at a villa team who has become the new forest the new sheffield wednesday the new Leeds. so this is a two-way thing they have to sell themselves to villa but also the villa owners have got to convince these guys that you know this is the way to go and we're not actually in a uh a crippled position where we are at the moment and it's you know there is a potential to still get promoted this season because uh, pretty sure the new owners want this season I think I think the, the the carrot fortunately that the owners can can sort of dangle at any new candidate is that a money money exactly, money there's there's money there I think in the short term I would imagine in January they'll be saying if you get it right and it's looking like you know we're we're in amongst it we will financially back you Secondly, if you can get Villa up with the purses, you know, the purse strings that these guys have, you think it could it could get really interesting. With you know some of the the numbers that Wolves and Fulham were throwing around, there's no reason why Villa couldn't be throwing those sorts of numbers around as well if they were to get up. Yeah, I think we're talking also we're talking big promotion bonus as well. Uh, if you need a big carrot and the, the just the potential for growth, essentially. 
Yeah, and that's all we've wanted to do uh, in the last few years is grow, and uh, we've just been shrinking in terms of ambition. Uh, there's a few people out there still crying uh, about Bruce leaving the, the club as well. And, you know, he was a likeable guy and a, and, a, and a charming guy, so you, on the personal level, you kind of understand that. But uh, results are results, and promotion, without it, everything else is failure. Agreed. So... On that note, uh, we'll, we, we will be back in the international break uh, with a more rounded show and we'll discuss how Villa march on to promotion after the international break. In the meantime, uh, please do uh, tag friends in on social media to spread the word. Also, if you are uh, wanting to uh, contact us via Twitter, go to at AVFC podcast. And if you want to support the show and we are wanting to grow in different ways, uh, especially in terms of going on location. So obviously we need equipment like that. So it's always helpful if you become a Mayo Man Said Patreon the same time supporting independent villa coverage that respects its readers and doesn't patronize them and deceive them with the clickbait model that most people use uh, please do go to myomansaid.com and click on the, the patron option also click on the shop option as well if you're looking to get a villa shirt whether it's retro classic one of the luke funky bunch uh, dapper villa range or uh, any of the official kit via kit bag because there'll be a little uh, small kit back peanuts basically but still every little counts and also go to uh, villaunderground.com because that's still alive it's alive it's kicking it's got a big fat subscribe button come enjoy enjoy (laughs) (laughs) just try to bring your cabbages (laughs) and depending on who the new villa boss is you may want to buy some cabbages and put them in the freezer just in case anyway until next time it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them goodbye goodbye my old man said I made you, you know it's true Mr. Potato Head, I made you My daddy is nothing else too Mr. Potato Head, I made you I made you, you know it's true Mr. Potato Head, I made you Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.